Let me invite you to turn now to Romans chapter 15, and we'll be looking at verses 14 to 24 this morning as we continue making our way to the book of Romans. By the way, we're almost finished. Uh, After today, I'm thinking probably about four more sermons will carry us through all the way to the end. So about another month, and we will have, uh, Lord willing, completed our trek through the book of Romans. Um, But I want to start this morning by, by thinking about this. People are fascinated by people. We're, we're fat, especially by people who have accomplished something great or done something great. Right? We are fascinated by athletes and politicians, kings and queens and prime ministers, actors, musicians. We just can't get enough of people and learning about people, learning what makes them tick, what influenced them, what key moments or decisions shape their lives and their careers. So we read biographies and we listen to interviews and we watch documentaries and we we do all these things to find out what happened, what, what took place, what drove this person, what shaped this person, what enabled them to accomplish the things that they have accomplished. And perhaps, along the way, we also hope to discover something from their lives that might help us or encourage us on our way. Well, we tend to put people in the Bible in a totally different category than all those other people, right? Than politicians and athletes. And people in the Bible have sort of a special category in our minds. But Paul is arguably one of the most fascinating, one of the most significant, one of the most interesting people who has ever lived. He accomplished so much in such a short period of time. His letters, 13 of which we have in the New Testament, right? His letters have been read, written about, talked about, taught about, preached about, over the last 2,000 years, probably more than any other writers, words, or thinkers, thoughts, other than Jesus himself. And Paul was not just a writer and a thinker, he was a doer. He not only wrote letters that people still study and memorize and meditate on and preach about, he also was largely responsible, under God, for spreading the gospel outside of Israel, throughout the Roman Empire, from Gentile city to Gentile city, where he preached to pagans and Jews alike, planted churches, and was, again, under God, the chief catalyst for causing the gospel to spread all through the known world at the time. And in Romans 15 we get a little window into what made Paul tick. Why did Paul do what he did? What was behind the decisions that Paul made? What was behind 
the ambition that Paul evidently had. You don't do the kind of work that Paul did without some kind of ambition, without some kind of drive, without some sort of plan and purpose behind what you're doing. And so he's going to give us a little window into his life in Romans chapter 15 that will help us not only understand one of the most interesting and influential people who've ever lived, but also might help us in our own lives as well as we consider how God worked in Paul. We might learn a little something about how God works in our lives. So let me read for us Romans 15 verses 14 to 24. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, at this point in the letter, Paul is mostly done with his instructions to the church at Rome. There's a couple more things he's going to say in what's left in the letter, but the main body of his instruction has come to its conclusion. And so now he begins to explain both why he wrote some of what he did and what he plans to do next. So in verse 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. In other words, he's acknowledging, first of all, uh, we need to remember, Paul's never been to this church. A lot of the churches that Paul wrote to were churches that Paul planted. He had a sort of fatherly relationship with those churches. But not so with the church at Rome. No doubt they've heard of Paul, But Paul's never been there. He's not ever met them. And yet he took it upon himself, so to speak, to write to them. And he acknowledges some of what he wrote was pretty bold. But he doesn't want to give the impression that he thinks that this church is somehow um, 
inadequate or hasn't been sufficiently taught or as though, you know, without Paul's instruction, they would have been totally adrift and lost at sea. No, he says, you're a mature church. I'm satisfied about you. You're filled with goodness. You're filled with knowledge. You're able to instruct one another. I didn't write to you because I thought, you know, if I don't write to them, they're just going to be, you know, they're just going to be in a mess because they have no ability to, to sort out what they ought to be doing and not do. He's, and that's not why I wrote to you, right? Uh, I wrote to you boldly not because I think you don't know the truth or I think you don't know what to do. I wrote to you boldly by way of reminder. In other words, I know you know these things. I don't think I told you much that was new. And yet we all need to be reminded of what's true and reminded of how the truth applies to different situations we encounter and different struggles we have in our churches. Anyone who has ever been a parent... Right? knows the importance of reminder for shaping someone. You, you can't tell your kid something one time and expect that to shape them from that point forward. Right? We tell them over and over and over and over, and that helps shape who they become. It's the same reason, uh, one of the reasons, why we come to church week after week. I mean, you can hear the gospel one time and believe it, and that's great. But in order for it to shape you, in order for God's truth to, to really shape and mold your life so that you're consistently becoming more and more like Christ, you have to be reminded not only week after week, but day after day of what the Bible says. That's why we read the Bible daily. That's why we gather weekly. is so that we can be reminded again and again of what's true, of what God has done for us, and also what God expects of us, how God has designed us to live so that our lives are shaped by His truth. Much of the Bible right, is written to remind people of what they already know. Much of the Christian life is not learning new things, but being reminded of things we've already been told, but that we tend to forget. Because we just can't keep it all in the front of our mind all the time. So Paul says, that's why I wrote to you this way, right, was to remind you. And then he also goes on to describe his work as an apostle to the Gentiles. That's one of the reasons why he wrote to Rome, right? Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. It's his job to take the gospel to the non-Jewish peoples. And Rome, of course, is at the heart of that. So it makes sense that he would want to write to Rome, that he would want to go to Rome. That's the heart of this uh, empire full of people that Paul is trying to get the gospel to. And he says um, that in his work, right, that it's, it's, a, it's a priestly work. It's worshipful work. He says, uh, you talk about the grace of God given to him at the end of verse 15. And then in verse 16, he says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now that's a really interesting way of describing his work, right? Paul's describing his work as, a, as the apostle of the Gentiles and he says, I, I, I'm kind of like a priest. 
And, and my job as a priest is to bring this sacrifice before the Lord. And the sacrifice that I'm bringing before the Lord is the Gentiles, the, the believing Gentiles who heard of Christ and come to faith in Christ. I'm, I'm offering them up in sacrifice to the Lord. And this sacrifice is being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is, the reason why Paul is writing, the reason why Paul is preaching, the reason why Paul is laboring to see people not only come to faith in Christ, but also grow in their faith in Christ, is he wants this offering that he's presenting to God to be acceptable, to be honoring to the Lord. And so essentially what he's saying is, look, I'm, I'm writing to you to remind you because I want you to keep growing. I want you to keep maturing. I want you to keep becoming more like Jesus because my job is to take you, as it were, and lift you up to the Lord and say, God, here is a gift for you. Here is an offering for you. Look at all these people who have been brought to faith in you and who are becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, I imagine some of the Jews in Paul's day would have been a little shocked to think of Gentiles as an acceptable sacrifice to, the God, to God, because they've always thought of Gentiles as unclean. But part of Paul's message, and, and part of what we read all over the New Testament, is that in Christ, those who were formerly unclean are now clean, Jews or Gentiles. Jesus came and made people who were unclean, like lepers, He made them clean. And that's not just to show us what Jesus can do for somebody who has a skin disease. That's to show us what Jesus can do for all of us who've been defiled by sin. He came to cleanse us so that we could be holy, so that we could be acceptable to God. Because we have been cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ, by the blood of Jesus. And so Paul says, I can offer even Gentiles, who we all used to think were unclean, I can offer them to God as a holy sacrifice because of Christ. Now, your, uh, the people in your life right, who are like Paul, whether that's your pastor or your mentor, or your Sunday school teacher, your Bible study leader or whatever, they're trying to do the same kind of thing that Paul is doing. They might every once in a while say something a little bold. They might step on your toes a little bit. But when they do, they're doing that because they want you to grow. They, they want you to be more like Jesus. They, they want you to be part of that acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Also, one, something I think we can, we can learn from Paul here is Paul is not the only one who can think of his work as worship. I might think, okay, well, that's for, that's for work as worship. That's for like pastors and, you know, seminary professors and people who get to do spiritual things for a living. Well, yes, but not only for them. Right? Because the Bible is clear that all of our life is supposed to be worship, and all of our work is supposed to be worship. Paul thought of his work as worship, and that doesn't surprise us. 
Right? But Paul just said back in chapter 12 that we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. All of our life is supposed to be an act of worship as we give ourselves to God. And Paul says elsewhere in Colossians 3, he says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whether you're cutting hair or building cabinets or managing people or uh, working in healthcare or you're a teacher or whatever you do, Paul says, think of it as worship. Whatever your labor is, if you can do it for the good of others and for the glory of God, it is work as worship. It is ultimately done in service to Jesus. And then Paul goes on to talk about the pride he has in his work. Now, a lot of times when we think about pride, right, we think about the, the bad kind of pride. The Bible warns us about pride. Don't, not to be proud, right? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But there is a proper kind of pride too, right? We talk about being proud of our kids. We talk about taking pride in your work as good things, Paul does the same thing here. Notice he says in verse 17, In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. So he says, I have a certain pride, not the the arrogant kind of pride, but the proper kind of pride. I have a certain amount of pride in my work. But we know it's the proper kind of pride, in part because Paul says that this work he's done, this pride he has, is in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about something he's done on his own. He's not taking full credit for anything he's done. But he says, in Christ, I have reason to be proud of the work that I've done for the Lord, the work I've done for God. And he says in verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So I've done this work in Christ, and I can say Christ is the one who's done this work in me and through me. Every good work I've done, Paul is saying, the ultimate credit goes to Jesus himself, not to me. Right? That's another difference between you know, the bad kind of pride and the proper kind of pride. The bad kind of pride takes all the credit for yourself. No acknowledgement of what God has done. But proper pride says, look, I'm not ultimately responsible for this, but I am you know, grateful for the part that I had in it. So he says, I'm not going to speak about anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. In other words, to bring them to faith, which itself is obedience, right? Because we're commanded to repent and believe the gospel. So in a sense, even believing is obedience, but also the obedience that flows from faith. Once you believe the gospel, believe that Jesus died and rose and that he's the only savior and you trust in him, right? Then you begin to obey. You begin to live differently. And so he says, Christ has been at work in me to bring all these Gentiles to obedience. And how has this happened? He says, by word and deed. By things I've said and by things I've done. Also, he says, by the power of signs and wonders. By the power of the Spirit of God. Now, we don't often think about signs and wonders in connection with Paul. We we know some of the apostles 
did miraculous signs and things. We, we know that those stories are in the book of Acts, but we don't often think about Paul doing those kinds of things. But he did. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And then in the book of Acts, in one of the most amazing statements about any miracle or sign or wonder outside of the things that Jesus did, is said about Paul in Acts 19. It says, God was doing extraordinary miracles. Like, miracles are already extraordinary, right? But these are extraordinary miracles. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So, in Paul's ministry, right, there were miraculous signs, there were wonders done as well. So Paul was not only preaching, he was also acting, he was doing, and God was at work through him, through uh, signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit of God was at work in Paul's ministry. And he says, the result was so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, we all know where Jerusalem is, roughly, right? But I had to go find Illyricum. <laughs> what, what do you mean from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ? Well, Israel sits on the Mediterranean Sea, right? And sticking down here into the Mediterranean Sea is that big boot. That's Italy, right? What Paul is saying is from Jerusalem over here by the Mediterranean Sea, all the way up around the Mediterranean Sea, almost to Italy. There's a little sea up here too. And across the water from Italy is Illyricum. So Paul's saying, I have gone from Jerusalem almost all the way to Italy, preaching the gospel. And Italy, of course, is where Rome is, where he's writing to you, right? I've preached the gospel almost all the way to you guys. And I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ in that entire region. Now, that obviously does not mean that everybody from Jerusalem to Illyricum is a Christian. It doesn't even mean that every town from Jerusalem to Illyricum has a church in it. So what does Paul mean when he says, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I fulfilled the, gospel of, the ministry of the gospel of Christ? Well, Paul is, has been called a, a frontier missionary. Right? He's the kind of missionary that likes to go to places no one's ever been before. He likes to go and preach the gospel to people who've never heard about Jesus before. Paul loved, evidently, being in places like Athens, where there was a host of idols in the city, and there were a bunch of philosophers, and none of them knew the truth about God. And so Paul stood up in the Areopagus and said, let me tell you about the God that you don't know. And he preached about the one true God, and he preached about the coming of Jesus, and he preached about the resurrection of the dead, and some of them thought he was crazy, but some of them believed. That's where Paul loved to be. Paul would not have wanted to be in the Bible Belt for very long. He said, there's plenty of churches here already. I want to go to places where there are, he wanted to be in India or Asia or somewhere in Africa or the jungles of South America. That's where Paul would be. 
Right? And that's not my calling, right? It may not be your calling, but we need people like Paul. We love people like Paul who do have that calling to go and take the gospel places it's never been before. So he's saying, I, I've reached enough people from Jerusalem to Illyricum that I feel like I can move on. Right? Paul is kind of like um, those people who, who settled the frontier. You know, they, they move out to somewhere where there's nobody in sight for miles and miles and miles. And then uh, one day you know, they, they ride into the house and they say to their wife, honey, it's time to move. I rode two miles and ran into a neighbor already, both ways. It's getting crowded. Time to go. Right? That, that's how Paul was. Right? If, there's, if there are too many churches, too many Christians, right? he, he's ready to go. He's ready to go. He, he might leave Timothy behind to, to keep ministering to the church. might leave Titus behind to set some things in order. But, but Paul's moving on to the next town. So um, that's, why, um, that's, that's why he continued to push the boundaries, right? And continue to move uh, from one place to the next. And then uh, finally, we see why it was that he had this ambition, why it was that he was driven this way in verses 20 to 24. He says, uh, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, ambition is another word that we often think of in negative terms. Right? Because there, there is selfish ambition, Paul warns us about in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Right? But there's also biblical ambition. Godly ambition. And that's what Paul had. Again, you don't just happen to plant churches all over the Roman Empire without some kind of drive, without some kind of plan. Right? So people have pointed out, Paul, um, when he got saved, right, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he became a new creation, but he still had the same personality. The same Paul who was like, give me letters so I can go persecute Christians in another town because I'm not satisfied with arresting the Christians here where I am. It's the same Paul who once he became a Christian said, I'm moving on to the next town to tell more people about Jesus. He had that drive. He had that ambition. And he had that ambition rooted in the Bible. But he says the Bible talks about people who've never heard Finally hearing. People who've never been told, finally understanding. That's what I want to do. I didn't come up with this ambition on my own. I'm trying to do something the Bible says is supposed to be done. I, I just want to be a part of it. That's what drives me, he says. And that is why he had not yet been to Rome. Look at verse 22. He says, this is the reason why... I have so often been hindered from coming to you. He told us at the very beginning of the letter the same thing. He says, I, don't, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Well, what was preventing him? Well, now we find out at least part of what was preventing him. What was preventing him was, Rome already had a church. And the places between Jerusalem and Rome didn't. 
Paul didn't need to go to Rome because there were already a bunch of Christians in Rome. That's who he's writing to. Somebody else had already started that church. But there was a lot of space between where Paul was and where Rome was that hadn't yet been reached with the gospel. And so Paul couldn't justify in his mind, as it were, a trip to Rome when all these other people still needed to hear about Jesus. But now he says, everything between Jerusalem and Rome has been reached has at least, you know, within some radius, has a pocket of Christians who are worshiping Jesus and can tell other people and can spread the gospel. And so now I'm ready to go to Rome. But he's not going to Rome to retire. He's going to Rome on his way to his next mission. It says in verse 23, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, right? That's, it's been fulfilled. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So I'm finally going to come and see you, but I'm not going to stay. I'm going to stay for a little while. I want to visit with you, want to enjoy your company, want to be refreshed by you. But I'm hoping that when I come that you will also help me on my way because I want to go even further west. As far west as I can go, I want to go to Spain. That's my next ambition. That's where I'm headed after I come to you. That's what Paul wants to do. His plans, his decisions were shaped by his ambition. And that's a good thing. And and, and here's the thing we need to remember. Not everybody has the same ambition. Not everybody was wired like Paul. The other apostles weren't all wired like Paul. Peter wasn't doing the same thing Paul was doing. That didn't mean there was anything wrong with Peter or that there was anything wrong with Paul. They were making different decisions because they had different ambitions. They had different callings, different ministries. And that's good. So too, among Christians, right? we have different callings. We have different ambitions, and that's going to lead us at times to make different decisions. And that's okay. One of us might devote more of our energy to teaching, one more to caring for widows and orphans, one more to encouraging and and, and meeting practical needs of people, one more to... We're all going to have different things that we're investing our time in, primarily. And it's easy to get frustrated with other people who don't share your ambition and don't make the same kinds of decisions as you do. But they don't have to. Right? What, what, we, what we want right, is for everybody to have something biblical that moves them, or maybe even drives them. Not everybody's going to be as ambitious as Paul, right? Not all of us are even going to have the same level of ambition or drive. But we hope that everybody has something that they think, this is what I'm here to do. This, this is what, how I want God to use me. This is how I want to be of service to other people, and this is how I want to bring glory to God. And because this is what I'm trying to do, I'm going to have to say no to some other good things, Going to Rome was a good thing, but Paul had to say no to it for a long time. We'll have to say no to some things that we might like to say yes to, but we just can't do everything. Nobody's supposed to do everything. Just like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, there are many members of the body. We've got different spiritual gifts, different functions, and we need 
the whole body to function together. And everybody needs to be who God designed them to be. Everybody's got their own part to play. And that's the way the body functions um, in the most healthy ways when everyone's doing what they're supposed to do and not everyone trying to be the eye or everybody trying to be the hand. So it's good to have this kind of ambition, but acknowledge that not everybody's going to have the same ambition as you, not going to be driven by the same things as you. Not everyone's going to be like Paul. And that's good. The same things that make Paul tick are probably not the same things that make us tick. But all of us can learn from Paul. All of us can learn to view our work as worship. To do what we do to serve other people, to love other people, and to bring glory and honor to God. All of us can have a a proper pride in the work that we do. Acknowledging that it's ultimately the Lord that gives us health and strength and ability and motivation and all the things that go into accomplishing anything. And yet we can say with Paul, I'm, I'm proud of what I've been able to do in Christ. I'm grateful. I'm pleased with it. I love the work that God has given me to do. And we can remember, right, that not everybody's going to be driven the same way, going to make the same decisions, to do the same things. We, we can cheer on Paul from Rome as he goes to Spain. I'm so glad you're going to Spain, Paul. I'm not going to Spain. That's okay. Somebody in the church of Rome might have said, Paul, I'm so glad you're going to Spain. I want to go with you. That's great too. But not everybody's going to do the same thing. Not everybody's going to respond the same way. But our goal is to love others and to glorify God and to work as unto the Lord in everything that we do. Let's pray.